Let's stand and take our Bibles tonight, if you would. Second Kings 18. Second Kings 18. And then I'd like, if you would, you'd put your finger as well in Second Chronicles 29. Second Kings 18, Second Chronicles 29. So good to see you here tonight. And uh, hopefully you had a chance to look over the prayer page and you'll pray over some of those needs that we have here this evening. Second Kings 18. If your neighbor next to you doesn't have a Bible or King James Version of the Bible, would you be kind enough to share your Bible with them? Make sure they have that. And uh, we're going to start with verse 1 and read all the way over to verse 9. And uh, we'll start there and then we'll be gravitating eventually over to Second Chronicles 20, 29 there. Say amen if you're there. Praise the Lord. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abi, or Abiah, and is the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high place places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord, and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth, and rebelled against the king of Assyria, and served him not. He smote the Philistines, even unto Gaza, and the borders thereof, from the tower of the watchmen to the fenced city. And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, son of Eli, king of Israel, the Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. Tonight we are looking at a four-part series on, the, on a king by the name of Hezekiah. We're going to see four significant things about him. Tonight we're only looking at one of those. And we'll be tonight looking at the beginning days, actually the very first year of the reign of King Hezekiah. Hezekiah's name means Jehovah is my strength. And that's the title of our message this evening. Jehovah is my strength. And we're going to see the significance and the importance of why God must be the strength of every Christian. Bless your word, we pray tonight. We know that it will not return into your void. We know this evening that the grass, uh, that the flower fadeth and the grass withereth, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. We know tonight, Lord, that thy word is forever settled in heaven. We know the great peace of they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. We know that tonight that the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and the joints and marrows, as the discern of the thoughts and tents of the heart. Jeremiah said, thy words were found, and I did eat them. And they were the joy and rejoice in my heart. Hosea the prophet said, there was a famine of the word of God in the land. And maybe tonight there's a famine in some of our hearts. Maybe tonight some of us feel depleted and emptied. And God, tonight I pray that you take us as wisdom says in Proverbs 9 to that old banqueting table. And there, God, I pray we'd feast on the word of God and fill up our souls. And I pray tonight we'd do more than just tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. I pray that tonight that God, we would take up greatly of the sincere milk of the word. And I pray that tonight we take up greatly the meat of the word. 
word and mature our souls and build up our faith and add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance godliness and to godliness uh, brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity. For the Bible says, for these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, tonight we pray that your word would be the bomb of Gilead, the healing for our soul. We pray that it be the bread of life that would feed our souls greatly. For Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Father, we pray for a revival of your word. The Bible says there was a revival of the word during Ezra's days. We need a revival in our church tonight. We need a revival that stirs our hearts and awakens us about the things of God. Help us to give heed to the things we've heard the last several days, lest at any time we let them slip. We pray tonight that we'd be a fervent church, an on-fire church. Lord, we pray that we'd be not slothful in business, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Bless our time together tonight. Lord, help us to be stirred by the life of Hezekiah, to be excited, to model our life after him, and to sense and see this evening the importance of having God is the strength of our life. Bless us now, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're in our study of the kings and prophets. And if you start with King Solomon, King, King Hezekiah is 13th in the line. If you start with Rehoboam, when the kingdom split, Northern kingdom, Israel, southern kingdom, Judah. The southern kingdom was Judah and Benjamin. Then we would say that Hezekiah is the twelfth of those kings. There was Rehoboam, there was Abiah, there was Asa, there was Jehoshaphat, there was Jehoram, there was Ahaziah, there was Joash, there was Amaziah, there was Uzziah, Jotham, and Ahaz. For the most part, the kings of Judah were good kings. And we're looking tonight at a king who is one of a kind. Verse 5 says about this man that he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him. What a great biography for someone to say that he was one of a kind. There was none like him. It says he trusted in the Lord God of Israel. Now, as we'll see tonight, we look at the background where this man came from and his ancestry. It's very amazing that, that he trusted in the Lord with his heart. Now, I mentioned earlier before I went to prayer that there's four, there's four significant times, uh, events that are recorded in the Bible about Hezekiah. In your personal reading, you'll read about him in 2 Kings 18, 19, and 20. You'll read about him in 2 Chronicles 29, 30, 31, and I think 32. You'll read about him over in the book of Isaiah, chapters 36, 37, 38, 39. Hezekiah was a significant king. He was the last of the great kings that we, that really when you find, you find there, that in terms of just from, from, the, from the term of his, in terms of his whole term as king there. And we're going to see four, four different things about Hezekiah during the series study. We'll see Hezekiah and how he dealt with apostasy or sin. We're going to see that tonight. At the beginning of his reign, he made right everything that was wrong. We're going to see how he dealt with apostasy and sin. Then the second time we see him, we're going to see uh, Hezekiah and how he dealt with attack or the storms of life. The third time we look at his life, we see Hezekiah and how he dealt with ailment or sickness. And the fourth time in his life, we're going to see how he dealt with arrogance, affluence, or if you would, success. Now, Hezekiah is somebody we need to learn from. Hezekiah is someone that teaches us much. John Butler, who's written a great series of books, of biographies on, on uh, great men of the Bible, and a great, great, a great series on, on, on the life of Christ and a number, number of commentaries, has a whole book on Hezekiah. I think it's 250 pages 
long about the life of Hezekiah. There are things for us to learn. You cannot read about the life of Hezekiah without stopping on one or two verses and reading through that and God getting a hold of your life. Notice again that his first mention we have of him is in verse 1 of chapter 18. It says, It came to pass in the third year of Hosea, king of e- uh, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Hezekiah's name means whom Jehovah strengthens or Jehovah is my strength. Now, how did he get a name like that? Last time we were in this this series, just the chapter before, we were looking at the life of King Ahaz. King Ahaz, there was nothing good about Ahaz. King Ahaz was a wicked king. King Ahaz left the kingdom in a total state of spiritual upheaval. They were in a time of spiritual apostasy. But we're told that this man Hezekiah had a mother by the name of Abi or Abiah, which means Jehovah is my father. Now, when we look at that, somehow the influence of this woman, his mother, and the influence of her, her fa- of her father, his maternal grandfather, that influence wound up giving this young man the name Hezekiah, Jehovah is my strength. Now, when you think about strength, here's some questions I want to ask you as part of our introduction. What is your source of strength? What do you feel makes you strong? What is your source of strength? I mean, let's be honest today. I mean, everyone sitting here today, for the most part, you're healthy. You have mobility. You're able to get here on your own. You're feeling pretty good. You hopefully have an appetite. You're hopefully sleeping a few hours at night. You're hopefully well hydrated. You hopefully feel like you're, you're doing very well. But what is your source of strength? Is your strength your winsome, funny, or overpowering personality? Is your strength your intellectualism? I think of Stephen Hawking, the atheist that the scientist who his, his greatest strength was his intellectualism. I mean, I wonder if some of us tonight think our intellectualism is our strength. Is your strength in your network of contacts and who you know, you think that makes you powerful? Is your strength in your money and your net worth? Is your strength in your career and where you think you're at professionally? We really have to ask ourselves a serious question. What do you think is a source of your strength? Sometimes when we do strategic planning meetings, we'll do a, we'll do a four-quadrant thing we call the SWAT chart. Some of you have done that at work. We look at the strengths and the weaknesses, opportunities and threats. And, and everyone likes to focus on their strengths and what they're good at. But we really have to ask ourselves a question. What is your strength? What do you deem your source of strength? Hezekiah's name means Jehovah or the Lord is my strength. Now, I'm glad to tell you tonight as we start our study this evening, there are many people we could look at in the Bible. There are many men in the Bible where God was their strength, where it was very clear in their testimony, the Lord was their strength. For instance, consider Moses in Exodus chapter 15, verse 2. Moses said, the Lord Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. That was his testimony. Nehemiah said in Nehemiah 6, 9, For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hand shall be weakened from the work that it be not done. Notice his prayer. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hand. I would dare to declare to you from the moment Nehemiah's mentioned Nehemiah 1 until we read the last thing about him, Nehemiah 13, Nehemiah made very clear Jehovah was his strength. David in Psalms 28, 7, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in Him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song will I praise Him. David was the man that killed a number of giants. David was the man that killed a bear and a lion when he was 16 years old. David was the only man in Israel that took down the giant Goliath. He's the man that his father-in-law told him, go take out some Philistines, and he took out double the number his father-in-law told him to take out, and he brought proof of it. David was a man that, was, that did not back down to the Philistines. But here is a man who said repeatedly, 
immediately, the Lord is my strength and my shield. The sons of Korah said in Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Jeremiah said, he prayed this in Jeremiah 16, 19. O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come unto thee from the ends of the earth, and they shall say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. Jeremiah was at the time where the kingdom of Judah was still very affluent. But listen, the Babylonians were assembling outside. The Babylonians were cutting off the water supply. The Babylonians were now affecting their crops, their ability to have food. They, they, they attacked the food supply. And soon, not long after Jeremiah said these things, Jeremiah, the city of Jerusalem would be under siege and be under famine. And yet Jeremiah, at that time of affluence, he said, The Lord is my strength. O Lord is my strength. Philippians 4.13, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I want to encourage us tonight, don't be like the man who said, the Bible says in Psalm 52.7, Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. I'm saying tonight, we can go through all the Bible and we can be encouraged by knowing that there were men that made God their strength. My question tonight for us as a church, is God your strength? Is He the strength of your life? Without Him, you can do nothing. Do you sense tonight that without the Lord, you cannot be successful? Without the Lord, you cannot make it another day. Without the Lord, the work of God cannot be done. Without the Lord, we won't be able to keep our faith promised pledges. Without the Lord, buildings cannot go up. Without the Lord, missionaries cannot be sent out. He said I, that the Lord was his strength. Jehovah is his strength. Would you notice three things about Hezekiah tonight as we look at this first incident? Hezekiah now is coming on the scene on the heels of his father's death. His father was 20 years old when he came to reign. He died. He reigned for 16 years. So he died around 36, 37 years old. His father was a young man when he died. Hezekiah was born very, very early because Hezekiah now comes to the throne at the age of 25. Hezekiah comes to the throne. The throne, the the kingdom of Judah, the city of Jerusalem is in a total state of mess. It is a messed up situation. It is in spiritual apostasy. Everything is upside down. God is nowhere to be found in that city. He comes to the throne, and we're going to see some things this man does. Notice when Jehovah is your strength, what that does for your life and mine. Notice tonight as we look at Hezekiah, when Jehovah is your strength, the difference it makes in three significant areas of the Christian life. Number one, would you notice that when Jehovah is your strength, it is reflected in your faith. Notice verses 1 to 6. The greatest thing that stands out in these first six verses about Hezekiah is the faith of Hezekiah. When he came to the throne, he was 25. He would rule for 29 years. The first half of his reign, he's doing right. He's fighting battles. He's trusting God. God answers prayer. The power of God's on his life. The second half of his reign, he has, he has a trial. God gets him through the trial. But after that, we find that the, re- the, the latter half of his reign was not a very, very good reign. It was kind of a mundane, mediocre reign. Notice some things about what, what this man Hezekiah is inheriting. And we've got to go back to the previous chapter, 2 Kings 18, to understand that. His father's name was Ahaz. His father was not a man of faith. His father had wicked alliances with the Assyrians. His father promoted and advanced pagan idolatry. In fact, as we read this, he made entire groves of trees where there were images they had. If you can imagine, a whole sector, a whole grove of trees where there were idols. Every high place, he put an idol. 
Idol worship was everywhere. He worshipped the gods where they passed their babies through the fire. In fact, he took one of Hezekiah's brothers and burned him in the fire to, 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 uh, as far as part of his worship. He was over in Syria and he saw a particular altar and he told one of his men, I want an altar just like that that we make in Jerusalem to worship those gods. His father polluted the house of God with terrible things. His father lined himself with the Assyrians to deal against the, the king of Israel and the king of Syria. His father gave away the wealth and the treasures of God's house to the Assyrians. His father, as we read over in the, in the previous chapter, his father closed the doors to God's house. He shut up the house of God, if you can imagine that. He had the audacity to tell the Levites, you're out of business. The priests, you're out of business. I'm going to close up and lock up the house of God, if you could imagine that. Now, if you were the son of Ahaz, what would you do? I mean, what you imagine with me, if, they, if this was going on right now, if this happened to Heritage Baptist Church. Church has gone through a period of 16 years, 17 years, spiritual upheaval. Nobody getting saved, no prayers are getting answered, no lives getting dedicated, no young people going to Bible college, no preachers being called, no money being raised for faith promise, no doors being knocked. I want you to imagine me that we have idolatrous worship going on in the, all over the church campus. There. It's no longer a heritage Baptist church. It's no longer the semblance of anything about a Baptist church. There's multiple versions of the Bible being used and all kinds of crazy music being sung. And all kinds of weird philosophies going on. And people worshiping this and people worshiping that. And every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. And then you can to top it all off. The man who's in charge decides, you know what, we're tired of this place. Let's just close the doors. Let's lock it up. Let's put a chain on the gate. Let's lock it up. And we walk away. That's what everybody was dealing with. And there was no priest and there was no Levite. There was no prophet. There was no layman that would take a stand and say, hey, somebody's got to do something about this. Well, somebody did do something about it. His name was Hezekiah. And Hezekiah made a decision. He could have followed his father's uh, spiritual example, but he didn't. He could have uh, he could have furthered idolatry, pagan practices, but he didn't. You know Hezekiah, that name Jehovah's strength, Jehovah is my strength. Something went on with his life that when it was time to assume the throne, listen to me tonight. Hezekiah was a man that God so strengthened. He decided that he would not allow, he would not be a victim of his paternity. He would not be a victim of his past. He would not be a victim of his peers. Let me tell you something tonight. All over the room, somebody in this room, somebody, at least one person, maybe more, there's somebody in your life that disappointed you. Somebody didn't live the Christian life like the way they said they should have. Somebody in your life, they were a hypocrite. And somebody in your life that was a hero that fell. And somebody in your life that said one thing and did another. Everybody in this room has somebody that's disappointed them. you got to make a decision tonight. Either you're going to be a victim to that past and victim to that paternity, or you're going to decide, I'm going to rise above that because Jehovah strengthens me. Tell you tonight, if someone who was supposed to be a role model disappointed you, you don't have to be a victim to that. Many times I speak with a Christian who's living in bitter disappointment because his father failed, a friend failed, a pastor failed, an evangelist failed, somebody failed. And this person's led to believe, listen to me tonight. This person's led to believe, well, if I quit church, that's the answer. If I stop reading my Bible, that's the answer. 
If I stop praying, that's the answer. If I stop giving, that's the answer. Let me tell you tonight, none of those things are the answer. You don't have to be a victim of your paternity, a victim of your past, or a victim of your peers. They may have fallen. Let me tell you tonight, Jesus is still on the throne. Jesus came out that tomb, regardless of all the failures of mankind. He came out the tomb to give us hope. He came out the tomb to give us victory. He came out the tomb to tell you, there's hope in Jesus Christ tonight. I say tonight, rise above those disappointments. Rise above all this and lay hold of the fact Jehovah strengthens. Now notice his faith. What constitutes a faith that Jehovah strengthens? You say, Pastor, I've got faith, but man, I don't feel strong. Well, Pastor, I believe what you're saying, but I don't feel strong. And I see a lot of times we try to, we try to put a square peg in a round hole. I see a lot of times we try to try, we try to put a lot of personal effort and physical effort and things that requires the spiritual power of God. But you notice the things that contributed to this man having Jehovah strengthen him? Notice in verse 2 the significant forces. 25 and years old was he when he began to reign. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. Two influences his life helped him pass the failure of his father. Because his father was not a good role model. His father was a failure spiritually. His father was an apostate. His father would go down in history, written in the Bible, as the man who closed up the doors of the house of God. His father is going to go down in history as the man that brought idolatrous pagan practices in the house of God and polluted God's house with all kinds of filth and garbage and junk that was all over there. His father is going to go down as having put groves filled with idols and high places filled with idols. His father is going to go down as the man who just promoted idolatrous practices beyond any other king of Judah there. And yet, Hezekiah did not fall under his father's influence. Thank God for a godly mother that influenced him. Her name means Jehovah is my father. And let me tell you something tonight. If maybe this evening I'm talking to somebody, your father disappointed you. Your father really wasn't on top of things. Your father really wasn't the man that you thought he could be. Well, you know what? Number one, you prayed for him and you thank God that, that you had a biological father. But let me tell you something. Your heavenly father never fails you. Get your eyes on your Heavenly Father because He's the perfect Father. He's the perfect Father. We can come to Him. We can say, Abba, Father, because that's what it's all about. Everybody wants to blame somebody else for something, be a victim of something. Thank God for godly influence. Listen, I'm thankful tonight for this church that maybe some kid comes to our church. Maybe we'll pick them up on a bus or van and we bring them to youth fellowship or our children's ministry. And their father is not all really all together there. But thank God they can come to church and they know they've got some good role models they can follow. They've got some men that are men of God they can follow. Some people they can say, well, I thank God that their influence on my life is why I'm staying straight and off, and off the streets and off the drugs and off these other kind of things. There. And thank God he had a mother who's name means Jehovah is my father. And I'm going to say tonight, if your father's disappointed, thank God that you got a heavenly father who will never disappoint you. But then he had a grandfather. His name was Zechariah. Zechariah means Jehovah remembers. And I want to tell you, in your darkest moments, when you feel like you're all forsaken, you're all lonely. And by the way, Hezekiah was lonely. He had to take a stand. He had to do what was unpopular. He had to undo things that people thought, well, man, you're undoing what you're, you're being disrespectful to your father. You're being disrespectful to the plan that we had before. And you shouldn't be doing that. And you're breaking protocol. And you're doing this and doing that. And you're breaking tradition. Well, listen tonight, brother and sister Christ. Sometimes when tradition goes against truth, truth must be chosen instead of tradition. 
Now, I'm going to say tonight, as we look at this particular situation, notice this man, his significant forces was a godly mother and a godly grandfather that was in his life. But notice something else. Notice he's, what he solidly forsook. Verse 4 says he removed the high places. He decided, as we look at verse 4, he would not be a partaker of the sins of his father. He removed the high places. That took work. That cost some money. Because these were lavish high places. Go look up your Bible history. He broke down the images. He cut down the groves. I mean, when you're talking about cutting down the groves, somebody had to put an axe to the trees. Entire groves of trees. We're not talking one, two, three, four, five. We're talking hundreds of trees in a grove. Fully grown, mature trees. Somebody had to put the axe to it. He cut down the groves. Then he did something that was similar to the golden calf. Somewhere along the way, the Israelites retained that brazen serpent that we read about in the book of Numbers. Israel had sinned. They complained to God. God sent these, these venomous serpents along and were biting them as, as a consequence of their sin. And, uh, and Moses and Aaron were on their face before God said, God, you've got to stop this plague. And God said, I will. He says, I want you to go make a serpent out of brass. And, and he made a serpent out of brass. And as he lifted it up, as long as the people got their eyes on the serpent that was lifted up, they were spared from the bite of the serpent there. And it was all symbolic, a picture of looking to Jesus Christ. Because over in John three fourteen, Jesus makes mention of the brazen serpent. It was a picture that when we look up to Jesus for our salvation, we can be saved. And everyone who looked on that, that brazen serpent, if they looked, they could live. But these people did something very interesting. They took that brazen serpent and they made it a religious relic. They made it a religious relic that they worshipped and they put it up there and people were bowing to it and they were burning their candles to it and they were worshipping and they were praying to it and they were doing these kind of things. And uh, Hezekiah had watched his father do this and he watched the leaders of the nation do that. And you know, when he's cutting down the groves and he's breaking down the images and he's, he's cutting down the high places, he goes over there and sees this thing and he pulls it down and he gives it a name. He says, we're not worshipping this thing anymore. We're not going to have things that are people going to worship. Now listen, I'm for a cross, but I'm not going to put a cross on our church if you're going to fall down start worshiping that cross my jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the throne of god he did the work of god when he died on the cross the work of jesus christ is finished and complete we don't have to go back and worship a savior that we have to reenact over and over again is that no sir you don't have to do that he died once and for all for your sins and mine they took this serpent they were worshiping it and he took it the bible says he took that serpent. He called it Nehushtan. I imagine he called a businessman. He said, I want you to see this serpent here. It's just a thing of brass. It's just a thing of brass. It's nothing. It's not the real God. Let me tell you something tonight. Don't worship the buildings. Don't worship the chairs. Don't worship your personality. Worship the living God. Amen. God is a spirit, and they that worship must worship in spirit and truth. I mean, I'm saying tonight, what, what contribute? Man, God got a hold of Hezekiah. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? God got a hold of Hezekiah and strengthened this man through the special, by the significant forces, by the influence of his mother. And by the way, mothers, there's something to be said for the influence of a godly mother on her son. Don't raise your son to be a pansy. Don't raise your son to be anything except a man for God and a man of God. 
It goes against popular opinion. That's why our boys do not do anything great for God. Hannah prayed, God, take my son. This is the only one I have. You can have him. No, you can have him. Lord, you can use him. And God did use him. You want a son that all he's going to be known for is for saving his money? You want to be his, have a son that's known for having saved a nation because he gave his life to do something great for God? He says, it's just a brass thing. He broke with the sinful past and made it very clear what kind of faith he had. Jehovah strengthened him for this solid forsaking. Now, you listen to me tonight. I'm thankful we're coming off this missions conference. What a great, great, great conference we had. I mean, it's the most low-key conference we've ever had, and God was all over it. I mean, nobody was more corny than Dr. Barnhouse, but one of the great preachers of our time. Amen. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you tonight, God met with our church. I never heard Dr. Dr. Sis preach with greater power than he did Sunday morning, Sunday night in this pulpit. If I get to live to 85 and the raptors come, I hope I can preach that, that, that strong. He preached with strength. He preached with power. And listen, you don't understand it unless you get a little nearer to his age. But here's what he said. He said, pray for me that I'll live until I die. What he meant that I want to give everything to Jesus. I think what he was saying is more than what Caleb did. Caleb said, give me that mountain. He said, I, I want more of the mountain. He said, let me live until I die. It's time to break with the sins of the fathers. Drinking, smoking, pornography, cheating, lying. Bitterness, the strength of Jehovah enabled him at 25 years of age to solidly forsake. But notice something else. We're still talking about his faith. One more thing. We see the significant forces, what he solidly forsook. But notice when Jehovah strengthened him, notice how he submissively followed. Verse 6. He claved to the Lord. Now, I love that word clave and cleave because it basically means to be fused with something else. It's taking two things, two becoming one. You know, the first mention of cleave is found in Genesis 2.24. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. The, the goal in marriage is that you become one, not two still saying two. And by the way, not one that's something else, one that's something for God. And so you look at over here, and it says he claved to the Lord. He, that word clave is the same word, has idea of Eliezer, when his hand claved to the sword and became weary. His hand became one with the sword. This man, Hezekiah, in the face of apostasy and ruin and sin and unpopular opinion and what is sins of the fathers and all those things, he became one with God. He made very clear, some of you guys have forgotten who God is, and some of you have forgotten what the worship of God is, and some of you forgot what it means to get the house of God clean. He says, but I haven't forgotten. I've got a pattern my grandfather gave me. I've got a pattern our forefathers David gave us. And I'm going back to the old pattern. I'm going back to the Bible. Wait, listen, you say, well, what do we do if somehow we get off track? You go back to the Word of God and realize the Word of God gives you the pattern for everything you need. This is simple. Look at verse 6. He claved to the Lord, departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded most. You know what's, what's great about his faith? Watch this. This is so scientific. This is so scientific American. You ready? You ready? He obeyed. The most difficult thing for the Christian life is to obey. 
Are you obedient? My obey God. Really? If I brought out all the word of God, I'm sure I'm going to find something that you disobeyed. It's true of you. It's true of me. Lately, when I go so many people want to talk about the Ten Commandments, they don't realize how dangerous it is you want to talk about the Ten Commandments. Because the Ten Commandments will indict you every time. So Jesus got the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler left off the number one sin that's a problem for every person. That's the sin of covetousness. And by the way, covetousness, if you're covetous, you're idolatrous. That's what the Bible says. So you broke the first and you broke the tenth commandment. He obeyed God. You want revival all the time? You've got to obey God. You want to see answers to prayer all the time? You've got to obey God. You want to have great faith? You've got to obey God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Pleasing God means we have to obey God. And what's where we ask we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing to sight. 1 John 3.22, that's obedience. You follow the Lord and not His self-will. Who are you following tonight? Who are you following tonight? At the end of your life, is it going to be said you followed all these other trails, all the other pastors? You follow Jesus. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Hey, when Jehovah strengthens, it is evident in our faith. Number two, very quickly, go to 2 Chronicles 29. When Jehovah strengthens, it's in our, we see it in our faith. But notice, secondly, when Jehovah strengthens, we see it in our fervor. Our fervor, our fire. Our intensity. Because of time, I need to summarize real quickly what's going on here in 20, chapter 29. And the first way I want to do that is I want you to notice, we'll read verses 1 to 3, and then you'll, you just stay with me for the rest of this. Would you do that, please? Hezekiah began to reign when he was 5 and 20 years old. It reigned at 29 years in Jerusalem. That's significant. We want to know how old he was. We want to know how long he reigned. What did he do at the beginning? And his mother's name was Abiah. Remember, what, is, what does her name mean? Jehovah is my father. Okay. Notice the word Abi. We get the word Abba. It, we get the word Abba from the Abba father. And then it says her grandfather, his grand, her, she was the daughter of Zechariah. What does Zechariah mean? Jehovah remembers. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. According to all that David, his father, did you notice this? He didn't fall. He didn't let his paternity affect his walk with God. You know what he did? He went back to right pattern. What was the right pattern? David, his father. Notice verse 3. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, notice this. He didn't wait. He didn't procrastinate. The first year first month of his reign he decided he's going to do something significant unforgettable remarkable something people will never forget in fact it was so important god put it right here second chronicles 29 notice what happened in verse 3 he opened the doors of the house of the lord and he repaired them number one i want you to see two things this man was fervent about two things this man was fervent about number one he was fervent about the house of god now, I'm going to tell you tonight, we need a generation of people beginning with this room. I'm talking about the cream of the crop. Let's get excited about the house of God. Get excited about God's house. Get excited about the fact we come here to worship the Lord our God. Listen, the Bible says in that first year, he opened the house, the doors to the house of the Lord. The doors were locked up. They were locked up for a long time. 
They put a chain around it. They padlocked the door, the house of God. Hey, you know what's a terrible feeling to come to church and the doors are closed. Hezekiah fervently loved the house of God. Listen, Bible believers love the house of God. Psalms 27, 4, David said, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell or abide in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Do you feel that way about God's house tonight? Behold the beauty of the Lord, the holiness of God. And acquire in his temple to come to church knowing that you can get around some brothers and sisters and get a hold of the throne of grace and God's going to answer some prayers. Psalms 84, verse 2 and 4, listen what the sons of Asaph said. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Look at, look at this. Even God's created birds want to be in God's house. Yea, the sparrow has found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Listen, it ought to be the safest place that a mother can bring her children ought to be to the house of God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will still be praising thee, Selah. You know what that means? People hang around church. They just have a happy, they just have a happy time all the time. They get their Oklahoma handkerchief out and they just start waving around. Amen? Verse 10. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. That's a great thought. So I was 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of God. Let me ask you a question tonight. When you just trying to get here tonight, was there a little bit of drudgery? Was it difficult? Was the traffic telling you it's not worth driving the time or wasting the gas? Is it joy to come to God's house? Is it a delight to just worship the living God? Because if it's not, you have to re-examine. i got to re-examine my, our hearts. We need to re-examine. What is my motive for coming to the house of God? Hezekiah said, we're going to open up God's house. And I'm going to mind you, he was 25 years old. I'm not sure if he ever saw God's house in function during the time of his father's reign. But I'll tell you one thing. I do believe this. I do believe that his grandfather and his mother ingrained in him. They taught him the scriptures and they did what Deuteronomy 6 says. You just wrap the word of God around the little life. And they started, they kept telling what God's house was all about. And they taught him about the construction of the tabernacle and the sacrifices are being made. And they told him about how Solomon's temple was made and how David gave a great sacrifice for that. I think they gained in his mind over and over again as the little boy. They said, one day, son, you're going to be king. One day, son, you're going to be in control. One day, son, you're going to be in the leader. One day, son, you'll get to fix everything that's wrong. One day, son, you'll get to change in economy. One day, son, you'll get to change in life. One day, son, you'll get to change in kingdom. One day, son, you can bring the people back to God. If your whole soul reason to exist here is just to be part of the crowd and not bring people to God, you need to reevaluate why you're here. King Ahaz gave away the wealth of God's house.
King Ahaz polluted God's house and closed the doors. The Bible describes, describes his filthy things he had in the house of God. And for whatever time period, the leading to 29 verse 3, people got used to the doors of the house of God being closed. I've been to Highland Park Baptist Church. I was there when the old airplane hangar, when Dr. Dr. Robertson would get up to preach. And J.R. Faulkner, who was probably the greatest song leader of his time, got up to song lead, and there was an old creaky platform. He'd lift his feet up and he'd start going. And man, there's just something about when he started song leading, it brought the whole congregation to the audience of God. I was there when the power of God came down on, on, on Lester Roloff and he preached on a round of Sunday. Thousands of souls got saved. I was also there years later when the new auditorium was built by a pastor who rejected everything that Dr. Robertson believed and lived and gave his life for and threw it all away by a pastor who spent up everything that they saved up that was supposed to be for the next generation. He spent it all up. Now you look at go to whatever Highland Park Baptist Church was. It's no longer there. Whatever buildings are there are locked up. They changed the name. They went back to the Southern Baptist Convention and they had a name that they lived, but now they're dead. Been there. I've seen the pictures of Temple Baptist Church where Beach and Vig was sent out of the church down there at Fort Worth to go up to Detroit, Michigan. And he turned Detroit. Listen, during the high, the greatest thing about Detroit, Michigan was not Motor City and Ford Motor Company and GM and Chrysler and all those companies and the turning out of, of a good year rubber and all those things. The greatest thing about Detroit, Michigan was Temple Baptist Church and Beach and Vig preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Back in the day, they ran five and ten thousand people in that church. They tried to go the contemporary way, and now the doors are closed. There's nothing what it used to be. People got used to the house of God being closed. Let me tell you something tonight. That's why I keep telling you, you think I'm trying to control you. I'm not trying to control you. I'm trying to tell you, thus saith the Lord. If you're out of church more than two weeks, you're going to get used to being out of church. And you know what? You'll be like everybody else. You'll start making excuses. Oh, I got too busy. I'm too tired. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I got to go to this party. I got to go to this party. I got to go to this thing. I got to go to that thing. You know what? The most important thing, when you get up out of your bed, you get out of your bed before the sun comes up on Sunday morning, get yourself the house of God. Amen. Church is not a social gathering. It's the house of the living God. Listen tonight, this is a multi-ethnic church. Church is not an ethnic get-acquainted time. It's the house of the living God. Well, we want to connect because of our language. No, we connect because of the heavenly language. Church is not an Amway get-together. It's the house of the living God. Some of that going on around here. Church is not a highway for gossipers and disgruntles. It's the house of the living God. Church is not a playhouse, it's a prayer house. First Timothy chapter three, Paul said this, but if I tarry long, you know what he said? I'm away. I like I'm gonna I'm gonna misapply that for a minute. You know what my misapplication is? I'm gonna tarry long because I want to make sure we behave ourselves in the house of God. But if I tarry long, he said, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Two words ought to stand out to us tonight. Behave thyself. Behave thyself. 
That's why he wrote 1 Timothy, because he had to talk about in chapter 1 and chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6. He had to talk about practices that were not right. He says, you need to know how to behave yourself in the house of God. And he went to verse 16, and he said, and without controversy, he said, listen, there were controversies in the church at Ephesus. They were debating about the resurrection. They were debating about the office of the pastor. They were debating about the qualification of the pastor. They were debating whether or not women should be pastors. Let me clarify that to you tonight. For some of you come out of some churches that bleach that, women cannot be pastors of a local New Testament church. The husband of one wife is talking about a man. I don't care what the Pentecostal church says. I don't care what Rick Warren's church says. I'm telling you what the Bible says. Without controversy. Listen, you can argue about all those stuff. You can argue about the colors on the wall, the colors of the carpet, what kind of, what height the pulpit should be. You can argue about the sound system and whether it's too cold or too hot. But one thing you're not going to argue about, you're not going to argue about without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. That is not for argumentation. That is not for controversy. God was manifest in flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, and believed on in the world, received up in the glory. Hezekiah went against popular opinion and what the tribal leaders in the city of Jerusalem stood for. And he said, you know what? It doesn't matter what you think. We're going to open the house of God. Notice the second group. God strengthened him for the house of God. But you notice verses 3 to 11. God strengthened him for the spiritual leaders. Boy, you're surprised. He didn't, I didn't alliterate on that, huh? Look at verse 4. He brought in the priests and the Levites. Gathered them together into the East Street. That was in East Oakland, amen? He called a church meeting. Levites and priests for the spiritual leaders. That's time I'm talking to staff, deacons, Sunday school teachers, sponsors. You have any influence? You're in this group. Use your influence right. He called a church meeting. Look at verse 5. He told them, you need to sanctify yourselves. Whoa. Whoa. So you guys got sin. Get cleaned up. You're not looking up here. He says, sanctify yourself. Hear me, you Levites. Sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house. Hey, you can't clean up God's house if you don't get this all cleaned up first. Don't, don't talk about other people's sins. Worry about your sins. For you chuck the rock. For you chuck the rock. He that is without sin, let him be the first to chuck the rock. He told them, look at, look at what he said here. Look at verse 6. For our fathers, hey, I'm part of the problem. By the way, he also was part of the solution. Aren't you glad about that tonight? Amen. Our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their back. He, man, he's blood. He says, guys, listen, you better get your lives cleaned up, leaders. Some of you are gossiping. Some of you are talking behind the back of the preacher. Some of you are leading, are leading an insurrection somewhere. Some of you are bringing wrong doctrine in. Some of you are tolerating evil where evil should not be taught. Some of you are tolerating bad doctrine. You think it's okay and cool. You're reading John Piper. You need to go throw John Piper away and get a hold of the Holy Spirit of God. And so you read, he says, listen, you're going over all this stuff here. And he says, listen, our fathers have done these things. And listen, it's so bad. We've turned our backs on God. You know, the highest amount of insult you can give to somebody is turn your back on them. Yeah. 
and walking away on them. He says, that's what we've done to God. Look at something else. Look, look, look at verse 7. They shut up the doors of the porch. I wonder how many people would be happy if I shut up the doors of the house of God, if I cut down the service. I wonder how many people would be happy and would go on with life thinking, that's a great thing that happened. We have less church. People say, well, I need more balance. Since when going to church gave you imbalance? How does going to church give you imbalance? I need more time for my family. Give me a break. Give me a break. Have your family sit with you in church. You're having time with your family. Give an offering together. Pray at the altar together. That's family time. Because you know what? You're going to go home and turn on the Disney Channel, watch Disney Channel. That's family time? He told him the lamps were put out. You know what he, when he was telling them? He said, look at this. Look at what he says there. He said, and you, put out the, and you put out the lamps. You know what? They stopped preaching the gospel. They stopped shining his lights. They stopped. So a lot of people be happy if we put less emphasis on missions and less emphasis on soul winning and said, hey, let's cut out faith, promise, mission. A lot of people be happy if we did something like that. He told them the incense had not been burned. He said, look over these altars of incense. They were supposed to burn it morning and evening. And incense is a picture of the prayers of God. You know what he's saying? It's been a long time since prayers have been made on the altars of God. It's been a long time since you've been down to the altar and confessed some sins and got right with God and surrendered your life. He said, it's been a long time since you've offered some prayers. And he said, when's the last time prayer got answered by God in this whole place here? That's what he's saying. I didn't choose the message. God did. I mean, just it's on the series. Amen. He told them the burnt offering stop. New believers, young people, and the rest of the people stop dedicating their lives to the Lord because the burnt offering is a picture of the dedication of the life of the believer. Look at verse 9. He said, look what this has done to our families. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword and our sons and our daughters and our wives are captivity for this. You know what he's saying? The whole nation's in bondage. Listen, when you leave God out of your life, there's only one alternative. You wind up in spiritual bondage. Let's wake up. You had to be forthright and straight with them. Hey, listen, Hezekiah didn't hate them. Hezekiah wasn't blaming them. He says, I'm part of the problem. Officer fall. Dr. Barnhouse, Dr. Barnhouse, who was here at this, for our missions conference, he has a man that he's training, he's mentoring, he's spending a lot of his time with, a man by the name of Frazier. Because of the cultural difference, sometimes Frazier doesn't understand things, and Frazier moves at a little bit different pace than Dr. Barnhouse would like him to go. And Dr. Barnhouse just realizes with that culture that if, I, if, he's not, if he doesn't push a little bit and uh, kind of drive things a little bit, that you know, the, the guy will just take his sweet time in getting things done. And, and one day, Frazier got a little upset. He got real frustrated with Dr. Barnhouse. He said, Pastor, he says, you know, I don't like how you talk, but I feel like you're abusing me. And Dr. Barnhouse said, Frazier... He says, I'm not abusing you. Abuse is, is letting you continue to do what's wrong and not telling you about it. He says, 
I love you. I'm trying to keep you from guessing that messy life. I'm trying to help you to do the work of the ministry right. And that's what that's what's going on here. He wasn't being abusive to the people. He was listen. Don't use that word abusive. That that's that that the world wants to take all these words and and sick and tired of the world taking words and and giving you a different different. And by the way, let me just say this tonight. I'm I'm calling this music outreach. If I use the word concert, don't get all whacked down and start thinking. Well, we're going worldly, and now we got the world coming. And we're going. We're not doing that. Let's take some good words. Let's stop letting the world take good words and twist it and take it down the gutter. Good night. It's like some of our fundamentalists got all upset because somebody said, well, I shared the gospel. Well, we don't share the gospel. We, we, we confront them. Well, that's all the same thing. Come on, give me a break. If we use the word just because the new evangelical used the word share, that doesn't mean it's a bad word. I mean, the person did share the word of God with them. Amen. Then notice verse 11. This is how he's concerned for them. He's concerned for spiritually. I mean, we're talking about his fervor. The Jehovah strengthened for the house of God. And Jehovah strengthened him for the spiritual leaders. And notice verse 11. My sons. Now, he's talking to men older than him. <laughs> he's 25. He's 25. My sons. He's talking about the elders of Israel. Of Judah. What did he say? Be not now negligent. For the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, that you should minister unto him. And Bernan says, now I like how he brought all that together. He says, you know what, men, brothers, my sons, be not thou, be not now negligent. God has chosen you to stand before him. Who's saying there? God gives a second chance. God gives a third chance. God gives a fourth chance. But don't wait to the fourth chance. Get it right the second chance. Amen? Get it right now. Get it right now. He was burdened for the spiritual leaders. Verses 15 to 19, he told them, get your lives clean. Clean up the house of the Lord. You read this verse 16. They got the house of God cleaned up in record time. They, look, at, look, let me just read this to you real quickly here. Um... It says in verse 16, the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it. And they brought out all the uncleanness they found in the temples of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it to carry it out abroad into the brook Kidron. Now you go look at your, go look at, they had to walk a distance to go from that temp, from the temple of God out to the brook Kidron. And they began on the first day of the eight, of the first month. Notice this is all in the first month now. This is all happened the first month, okay? They began the first day of the first month to sanctify, and on the eighth day of the month came they to the porch of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days, and the sixteenth day of the first month they made an end. You know what he's saying there? God's house is too important. We can't neglect. We're not waiting one year for it. We've got to get it done now. Get it done now. Peter said in 1 Peter 4.17, For the time has come. The judgment must begin in the house of God. Well, it's one last thing. We've got to close. Jehovah strengthened for his faith. Jehovah strengthened him for his fervor. But notice Jehovah strengthened him for his function. Notice verses 20 to 36 and we're done. I'm going to summarize this. God strengthened him for his function now. He had some business to do. Let me tell you what he did here in verses 20, 36. You study it later on. They got God's house cleaned up. The filthy things were carried out of the brook Kidron. Some people had to get their hands dirty to clean it up. It was time to restore the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the Passover. They had not done sin offerings. There had been no burnt offerings. In fact, we read in chapter 30, this Passover, they had to re- reinstate the Passover. 
It was time to sprinkle the blood upon the altars. Again, look at verses 22, 24. Listen, the smell of blood was everywhere. been a long time since they smelled the blood. Let me tell you something tonight. If we're not preaching the blood and we can't smell the blood, that means we're not preaching the blood enough. They had to sprinkle the blood all over the altars and it was time to sing praises and play the instruments of worship that were ordained by David in verse 27. Notice verse 28. It was time for the entire congregation to rise up and worship the Lord. In verse 31, it was time for the people to come near and bring their sacrifices and thank offerings. It was time, verse 34, it was time to get back to work and worship. Verse 34, it was time to help one another in the work of the Lord. The work was so overwhelming, the Levites needed help and the priests came along, the, the priests needed help and the Levites came along to help them because some of the priests had not finished sanctifying themselves. What a great thought that was that the Levites and priests were working together to get things done there. And then you notice later on, it was a time for abundance of burnt offerings, peace offerings, drink offerings, giving with a good heart. And notice verse 35, would you please? And also the burnt offerings were in abundance with the fat of the peace offerings and the drink offerings for every burnt offering. And by the way, they didn't rush to worship a God. They didn't, worship, they didn't rush these ceremonies that were moving their hearts to, wor- to joy and worship. And it, says, and it says, so the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. Now, somewhere along the way, I read about it disciple of Paul by the name of Titus, he says, set in order the things that are wanting. And every now and then we need to recalibrate ourselves and we need to set the, hit the reset button. We need to set in order the things that are wanting. What's he saying there? What was the function? Well, it's very simple. Let's bring it down to where we're at. They started functioning biblically again. You know, a biblical church, a biblical church is a church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. A biblical church is a church that gives a salvation invitation at the end of every message. A biblical church plans on his calendar. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to have opportunities for you to bring your friends and go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. And listen, that's what the sin offerings were all about and the peace offerings were all about. Hey, listen, a biblical church preaches hell hot in heaven, the home of the saved. A biblical church preaches all the word of God. The biblical church lifts up Jesus Christ. A biblical church preaches God's word. He's saying, look at this here. We just need to get back to the things we used to do because they had forsaken those things for a long period of time. By the way, biblical church starts having dedications. People start dedicating their lives again. Verse 36, they start to have church with enthusiasm, excitement. Look at verse 36. And Hezekiah rejoiced and all the people that God had prepared the people. You said, well, we've got to do a strategic plan. We've got to think about this group here and this group there. No, he was spontaneous in everything he did. He just said, listen, this is what we have to do. And they followed the leadership. This is what we have to do. For God prepared the hearts of people. If God put it on the preacher's heart, that's what you're supposed to do. Then that's what we're supposed to do. So you know what we do? We do it. And everybody got happy because you know what? We're doing the right thing. It's the right thing to preach the gospel. It's the right thing to bring guests for the special music endeavor on the 16th. It's the right thing to come on the 14th and learn and get your hearts encouraged about what is biblical music and what's the right kind of music in church. It's the right thing for us to treat every Sunday as the most important day of the week because it is the most important day of the week. And I can tell you, you're not going to hear what I'm telling you in most churches tonight. You'll hear it in a biblical church like this, but you won't hear it in most churches. I tell you some guys who just transferred their membership, they'll tell you they didn't hear it in their churches. 
And I'll be honest with you, he, he just told them, we, we got to get back. And by the way, they started giving again. <laughs> Free will offerings. You know, when you're, not, when you're not, there's no burnt offerings, no sin offerings, no drink offerings, no peace offerings. Guess what? You just start hoarding your money a little bit closer like this because you don't want to give it away. They just came with a willing heart and gave. Said, so, you know, we cleaned up the house of God and our forefathers gave all the treasures and wealth away. We've got to rebuild the house of God. We've got to make it beautiful once again. And so look at verse 36 again. Hezekiah rejoiced in all the people that God had prepared the people. For the thing was done suddenly. It was spontaneous. They were challenged. They made a choice. They were changed. I'm done. They were challenged. They made a choice. They were changed. Hezekiah did not have a winsome personality. Hezekiah didn't have enough money in his piggy bank to give him credibility. Hezekiah did not have a PR firm to speak on his behalf. No, Hezekiah had God. He had, he realized as he came to the throne, he only had one shot at this. He came on the first day of the first month of the year and he got up before the people. He says, guys, we're going to open up the house of God and you Levites and you priests, you need to sanctify yourselves and then we got to sanctify the house of God and we're going to carry out all this filthy stuff and we're going to lead the congregation back to blood sacrifices and sin offerings and burnt offerings and drink offerings and peace offerings and we're going to start singing and have a happy time in church and we're going to have a good time in God. And the Bible says Hezekiah rejoiced and all the people for God had prepared the people. It would be a wonderful thing if spontaneously we just obeyed the Holy Spirit. Obey every impulse of the Holy Spirit. That's where we get that from, right here. Well, I'll think about it. You just quenched the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, that's not me. You just resisted the Holy Spirit. You do always resist the Holy Spirit of God. That's a sin. Jehovah strengthens. He gives strength for our faith. He gives strength for our fervor. He gives strength for our function. He gives strength when we have failed. He gives strength even when we've fallen. He gives strength against our foes. We saw it. We will see that next time. And he gives us strength for our future. Hezekiah. Jehovah strengthens. The Lord is my strength and shield. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I can't do it. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You are of God, little children, for greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Our Father, tonight, thank you for this man, Hezekiah. Jehovah strengthened him. He strengthened his faith, his fervor, and his function. Those closing words, my sons, be not now negligent, for the Lord has chosen you. Lord, your word sanctifies because Jesus prayed, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And as you've spoken to us, Lord, help us now to give heed to the things which we've heard, lest we let them slip. He spoke to them about being diligent. Lord, it's hard to forsake sins 
that hold us in bondage. It's hard to follow the Lord holy when disobedience is in the way. Help us to have an obedient heart. Help us to follow you holy with all our hearts. Lord, give us a fervor for God's house like people the Bible had. A fervor for one another. Help us, Lord, to get back to the functions and take it another notch up of honoring God. I extend the invitation. The Bible says, Hezekiah rejoiced in all the people. For the Lord had prepared them. And this thing was done suddenly. Father, help us be spontaneous to you now. I pray for this now in Jesus' name. You stand with me tonight. If you need to come, come tonight. As you stand, if you need to come, you come tonight. <clears throat> Holy time. God's time. Reverence time. Father, this evening as we find our place around the altar and around church, stir up our hearts, strengthen us. We need strength for the journey. The Bible says, as thy days, so shall thy strength be. Joshua looked at the job description you gave him. You said, be strong. Moses looked at the job description. You said, be strong. Paul told the church at Ephesus, be strong in the Lord. And tonight, I know that still applies to us. We need to be strong in the Lord. Jehovah strengthens. Strengthen us for the journey. Strengthen us, God, for the next faith endeavor. Strengthen us, God, for the next door we're going to knock on. Strengthen us, God, for that season of prayer we need to make so that, Lord, we see God working. Strengthen us, Lord, to be a giving people, a holy people set apart for God. Help us to love your house. Like Hezekiah told those people to love the house of God. Thank you for your people here tonight. Thank you for people that love your church and love you. Diligently search your hearts daily that they'd be sanctified and set apart. This evening, Father, have your way in our lives. Be honored through our decisions. They were challenged. They made a choice. And they changed. You help us to do the same. We pray for this in the powerful, wonderful name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.